It's time for the best coverage of the top stories in sports. The Sports Wrap with Jason Page starts now. Good to have you with us this October 20th, 2023. Sammy Arnell coming up in 15. We'll get into the NFL with him. Page versus the Prince. Week 7 edition of our NFL picks. We got some baseball to get to as well. But happy to start things out with some college football today and say hello to our friend Bill Bender, who does a terrific job with the sporting news, a frequent guest on the program. And Bill, we were talking about it off air briefly. Nothing like Jim Harbaugh to get a Friday going, huh? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, obviously, a lot of now we have sign stealing and, and what constitutes sign stealing and what how far teams go to steal signs. And it sounds like, I mean, from what I've read, I, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't think it's this, this is that big of a deal unless they were sending guys to scout opponents, which you're not allowed to do since 1994. But anything else, unless there is like a Spygate-ish type in-game thing, guys steal signs. But isn't that and what they're find- saying? Isn't that what Pete Thamel and, and Mark Schleyball are saying? Is that there's this investigation and that they there was you know this Connor Stallions mm-hmm. that was that was being sent former US Marine is a person of interest which just sounds weird to say when we're right. talking about but, something like this that he may have violated an NCAA rule by scouting future opponents in person at games and if that's the case then doesn't it come down to who ordered that i mean will that be the next question well, if it actually happened is the first question. They have to prove that. I mean, there's a lot of allegations and how this works whenever the cheating is brought up that Michigan's already guilty in court of public opinion, which is social media. They're guilty. It doesn't matter if they're if that like to me, if this the story I just read from Ross Dellinger, which was about this guy stealing signs during games and he's on the field, that's fair game. Change your signs. Right. During the game, during the game, I totally get it. But I mean, if you're watching recordings of TV broadcasts, which is allowed, change your signs. I mean, that's like, I've watched college football games. One easy solution is they should have headsets in, in the quarterback's ears like they do in the NFL. And, you know, I've watched for years the ridiculous billboards with pictures of, you know, yes. things ranging from cereal <laughs> to SpongeBob and, if that's your system and somebody cracks it, too bad. Like, but if they were actually sending guys to scout, that's what I'm saying. I mean, because that's all- what that's what this is saying is, you know, th- this report that I'm looking at is saying scouting future opponents in person at games. Also, a dumb rule. Every high school does that. I've sat in high school bleachers where teams do this all the time. So, but it's the rule. But it's been, it's been against the rules for, you know, 30 years. Yeah. So, like, if they're doing that, yes, but there's no discernible punishment. So, what's the punishment if they find that? It's like, I remember when Spygate happened with the Patriots. What was their punishment? A draft pick? Oh, and a my fine? God. <laughs> it was That's it. Right? Much ado a draft about pick nothing. And a fine. And you know who paid for Spygate? The, the Washington Redskins at the time paid because I think New England beat them by like 60 points <laughs> after. So. But I think it's less about these violations to me and more about the, the stain of cheating and how, that, how does that take away their success the last two years. Does this drive Jim Harbaugh even closer to taking a parachute to the NFL? I think if I were him, I probably would take that. 
because it, it does feel, and Paul Feinbaum talked about that this morning, that this feels like the NCAA is piling on a little bit. And, and that's, that's kind of my read on the situation as well. Um, Penn State, Ohio State this weekend. Let's talk about it. I mean, you know, I felt like last weekend, by the way, I was I was I was sitting at a sports bar uh, at the sports book at Agua Caliente Casino out here, and I was watching uh, USC and, and Notre Dame. And it felt like last weekend really was sort of the weekend where we started to weed out who some of the pretenders are in college football. Do you feel the same way? Yes. Um, you know, the, the number of unbeatens is trimmed a little bit. You watched, I think you were texting me during USC, uh, Notre Dame, where we kind of found out they were a little bit of a contender and it, or a pretender. I'm sorry. And it caught up with them a little bit. I mean, five turnovers, by the way, they better get ready for that weather when they move to the big 10, because it's like that everywhere else. Um, I think this Ohio state Penn state game is going to be awesome. I, I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring. It seems like the betting, and I just read an email from BetMGM that uh, Penn State is the most, Penn State plus four and a half is the highest, most frequent bet right now. I think they're daring you. I, I, the Buckeyes <laughs> at home, I mean, they've won the last four. There is more pressure on Penn State here. Wouldn't you agree? Um, that's a good I question. Like the, I like the pause. Go that's on. a good question. I usually am used to making other people pause with a good question, but... <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, Ryan Day has faced so many questions about his ability to win big games. You know, the whole thing that transpired earlier this year, the comments from Lou Holtz. I mean, I, I think there's an equal amount of pressure here. I don't think it's, I, like it. I don't think it's all on Penn State. I do well. So I'd say from this standpoint, Ohio State, if they lose, they'll be, and I live in Central Ohio, as you know, they'll be the the usual. Monday meltdown on AM radio, which the FM radio, which they have great radio stations around here and everybody will be fired uh, or they'll want them fired. Then they'll realize that, Hey, we have a top 10 victory in the bag against Notre Dame. We still got Michigan. Penn state loses given like the all in all summer. My editors all summer, Penn state's going to win the big 10 that record that four and 14 record against Ohio state and Michigan going up here and having your best chance to win in Columbus in 12 years, and they've got the quarterback, they've got the running back, they've got the defense. Uh, Jason, outside of the receivers and tight ends, I think you could argue Penn State's got a better position group most places for the first time in a long time. It's going to be an awesome game. But if they lose, what are we going to say? Penn State can't win the big game. It'll be the same old thing. Uh, Tennessee and Alabama, does somebody's season end this weekend? Yeah, elimination game between those two. Won't be 52-49 to 49 again because Bryce Young and Hendon <laughs> Hooker aren't on the field. Um, Jalen Milrose has been a little bit better than Joe Milton in SEC play, you know, from an efficiency standpoint. A few less turnovers. Neither one of them has been lights out. Um, two running defenses that allow three yards or less per carry. So that tells me, you know, Milrose or Milton's going to have to make a couple big-time plays in this game. We love... Could you imagine if we're burying Alabama before Halloween? Like, <laughs> out of the national title race? I mean, that's what's at stake for them. I think this is a tough out for Tennessee, though. I don't know that they have enough consistency on the offensive side of the ball to go out there and beat a pretty good Alabama team. Alabama's defense is pretty good. And Dallas Turner starting to emerge as the best defensive player in the country. Um, the Brock Bowers injury. You know, we were asking the question a couple of weeks ago, is there anything that could derail... Georgia at this point, which seems, 
you know, head, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else that we talk about. And we never really talk about Georgia because it's just assumed. How much does the Brock Bowers injury change that, especially without a timetable for his return? I think they're more gettable now. And I say gettable in terms of teams probably feel like, oh, now we they their best players off the field. We can do this. Uh, they have a tough stretch coming against Tennessee, Missouri, and Ole Miss after Florida. I mean, all four of those games are going to be games. I'm reserving judgment on what Georgia looks like until I see it without Bowers. How does Carson Beck adjust? How, how do they – do they start running the ball more? Are they still – is the defense going to be better? Um, Kirby can do that. I mean, Michigan beat Ohio State and Purdue without Blake Corum last year. It can be done. Um but I, I feel like the national championship race, and we we're kind of sorting out those contenders. There's seven right now. Seven. Uh, seven undefeated. Three, yeah. Seven teams that you're like Georgia, Top the seven. three Big Ten teams, Washington, Oklahoma, and Florida State, and even North Carolina. There's eight. That'd be a fun eight team playoff. We don't need to go to 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. Um, which one of uh, – g- give me a team potentially outside that seven. Is it North Carolina? You know, is it, is it North Carolina that would that would be the team that, that could potentially sneak in there, you know, depending on what happens with some of the attrition, you know, with, with some of these other matchups? I mean, give me the team outside those seven from Georgia down to Penn State that you think could could wind up making the leap. Well, I think Oregon, you know, despite the loss last week and despite the ill-advised fourth down calls that everybody was defending, um, take the points, man. Take the points at the end of the half. It's just and, amazing. I, I, was, I was planning to talk about this later. Whether it's college football or the pros, the, 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 the overthinking mm-hmm. from coaches – like, I don't understand. I saw it last night with Doug Peterson going for it on his own 45 when, you know, the Saints can't even, you know, drive down the length of a field for it. Make them go 90 yards. Right. I mean, yeah, what? why did conventional wisdom get thrown out the window? I don't understand it. Sorry. I think fourth downs have become this, like, and I, again, I think we're in the same neighborhood of age range. I think fourth downs have become a generational thing. The younger generation of football fan is obsessed with going with it on fourth down and analytics like analytics is some person standing on your front porch telling you to go for it. Uh, I think it's got to be game feel, right? Like, where am I at in the game? Is my left guard not blocking right? Did he just flinch on the last play? Where are we at on the field? Is this game going to be 34-31? There's so many things these coaches have to do that aren't analytical. But I think it's got to be – you can't just be one way on this, Jason. You can't just be, oh, we're going to go for it on fourth down all the time or we're never going to do it. We're going to – it's got to be by feel, and you're, you, you just said it. Uh, overthought would be the best way I would put it. How much does TCU last year bombing in the, in the college football championship game, how much in the playoff championship game, how much does that, you think, impact? And I know the, the, those that vote on it will say no, and those that get into this room and this cabal that makes this decision about who gets into the playoff will say it doesn't matter. But it's got to matter when we get to the end of this thing. If you have a North Carolina or you have some of these other teams that might be undefeated, but you're like, but do they really have a chance? How much do you think that what happened with TCU last year is going to impact what we see at the end of the year? I had a pretty lengthy debate with my editor about this last year where he, Bill Troche, he's a great editor, by the way, but he was saying that this, 
I said that championship game was horrible for college football. And anybody that thinks otherwise, like it was 65 to seven. I was done writing in the third quarter. I'm never done writing in the third quarter. Um, you're, you're exactly right though. That will penalize a team. North Carolina is interesting to me because they've got the running game. They've got the NFL quarterback. They've got a better defense. Is that enough? Um, but it's like, yeah, well, at the end of the day, are they going to go against – I think talent always rises in the, the playoff, right? Georgia had so many four- and five-star guys. And and, that, and we all – you've heard this a couple times. Georgia-Ohio State felt like the national championship game because of the talent on the field. So – but, I mean, with it being wide open, I mean, Washington is the one that I think might get that treatment a little bit because does Washington have it in the trenches? They got it on the perimeter. Do they have the dudes – on the offensive and defensive lines that, that can beat a, a Michigan, Ohio State, a Georgia. Michigan d- didn't have the guys on the lines to beat Georgia a couple years ago. So, I, I mean, that's the big question to me. Bill Bender, check him out. The Sporting News, college football, he does a terrific job. I always appreciate your contributions to this program. Thank you, my friend. Hey, we should make this a weekly thing. Thanks I, so much for having me on. Take I'm, care. I'm all about that, my friend. Thank you. Uh, Bill Bender joining us on the show. All right, quick timeout. We'll come back, talk to our man Sam Yarnell, go through the NFL Thursday night football game, Page versus the Prince around the corner as well. It's the Sports Wrap on a Friday. Welcome back on this Friday edition of the program. Good to have you all with us. And by us, I mean us. It's Jason. It's Sam. It's Jason and Sam. Thanks to Bill Bender for hanging out with us. The Sporting News, talking college football. Always enjoy that spot uh, with him. And I always enjoy this guy, the Prince of Picks. Sam Yarnell is here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with a Thursday night football game for us to preview. We'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But, Sam, let's start with what happened last night, Thursday night football. We thought this was going to be a bit of a snoozer, a low-scoring game. Boy, how wrong were we again? Yeah, so you just said that we had a, we have a Sunday slate to preview. And then we're going to get into Did I say the, Thursday the re- slate. Yeah. yeah yes. it's all right. uh, I know it's been a long week. Uh, yeah. Weird game. But, you know, the narrative after this game is going to be that Derek Carr isn't the guy. I'm not going to buy that. Derek Carr was fine. He made the throw. He made the throw. Right, this game right, should have been exactly. tied. Moreau dropped a ball that was right in his and hands. Carr made a great so throw. bad for him. Oh, he looked like he was so crying. bad for Foster Moreau. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, as you would, your team just lost the game. That was literally on your fingertips. Third and game, and you've got the ball that hits you in the hands. You can't, as an NFL pass catcher, you can't you can't let that happen. But tough one for the Saints. The Jags still haven't sold me, especially after letting the Saints back in that 24 game. 24-9. Um, 24-9. Yeah. And they end up winning 31-24. Like, that's not a great look. But wait a second. I will, I will, and I'm not trying to be a contrarian here. You know how I feel about the Jags, though. They're five and two. Five and two is five and two. Okay. Five and two with a win over the Bills, by the way, too, may I just add. London or not London. Okay. Even when a mark of a good team in that spot is when you cough up the lead, figuring out a way to still come out with a W on the road in the NFL. And they did that. They put together a drive 
to get the go-ahead touchdown when they needed to. My issue is with Doug Peterson at 24-24 on his own side of the field, I think his own 45 on a fourth down, not punting and making the Saints go 90 or 95 yards. That's my issue, is the play calling in that position. And I just talked about it with Bill Bender. You may have heard it. I don't understand this anymore. Why fourth down has become so overthought by NFL head coaches? And it's everybody. And we see it every week in this league. You know, everybody's trying to be different. Everybody wants to be the smartest head coach. Everybody wants to be, you know, uh, Riverboat Ron. I don't understand it. And Doug Peterson almost put his team in a position last night to blow this game. Well, the reason that it's happening, right, is the creeping into the baseball mindset, the managerial mindset in baseball into football. It's the use of analytics. It's across sports, but we're seeing it more prevalently in the NFL this season than I think we've seen it before. Uh, Coaches are 100% relying on analytics, and they've gotten away from necessarily the charts that they've made for, you know, those old classic charts where it's like you have third down, here to go, and there's such time left, and you figure out whether or not to go for it. They've moved away from those, and it's more towards what kinds of plays are we most effective at getting three yards, and can we run that here to get this first down? in crunch time when we need it. And like, that's fine. It'll work, but it's going to lead to the problem that we all have with the NFL this year and the product being worse. It's just another thing that contributes to it. I do want to say really quickly on the Jaguars having five wins. Sure. One of those, actually two of those wins aren't wins. If one play in the game is different, but that's you can go through so many teams and say this two different, two different wins of those are against the Colts in Anthony Richardson's first career start and the Colts in the first game with Gardner Minshew as the starter. So, yeah, like, yeah, they've won five games, but they could just have easily have lost four. It's a team that's learning how to win, though. If this is a group. Remember, Doug Peterson only took over last year. You forget we're, you know, we're t- less than 24 months removed from the dumpster fire that was Urban Meyer and what this organization looked like when he left. The turnaround has been, you know, it's been really good. And and look, I don't know if, and, and this is what I was going to ask you and get your thoughts on it. Are they, are they the second tier in the AFC? Third. Yeah, see, that's, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of torn on it. I, I don't, They're not and I know the worst thing you sure. can do. I know, I know the worst thing you can do. In, a, in an environment like what we are is, is beyond the fence, but I'm on the fence between them being tier two and tier three because their defense is that good. But then last night I watched the Saints all of a sudden in that fourth quarter, they're driving the ball down the field. They're doing whatever they want to do. The Saints offense all of a sudden started to look like the Saints offense we thought it would be. Michael Thomas making catches, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure where I put put the Jaguars yet. I'm just not, I, I don't a- know yet. It depends on if you're speaking, and and this is for a variety of teams, right? If you're speaking just this season, there's a case to be made for them to be at the very back of Tier 2. When you're talking about Tier 1 teams this year being like the Bills, Chiefs, in the AFC, Bills, Chiefs, Dolphins, then you've got Tier 2 is like Bengals, Chargers, uh, yeah, maybe the Jaguars fit in there. 
Man, it's cl- it's it's I, close. I'd say, I'd say the Browns are in tier two before I'd say the Jaguars wow. are. And even with PJ Walker at quarterback, with the way that that defense plays, I would put the Browns above the Jaguars right now. All right, uh, we'll move away from that. Page versus the Prince coming up here in a couple of minutes. Three and one for Jason Page the last two weeks. Can't say the same for Sam Yarnell. Abysmal. Abysmal is right. We'll come back and address it next on the Sports Wrap. It's Friday, and that means it's time for the weekly face-off for sports betting bragging rights. It's Paige versus the Prince on the cash-in. Yes, it is. Three and one in back-to-back weeks for yours truly. Three and one. Can't say the same for my partner in crime, Sam Yarnell. What was it last week for you, Sam, if you don't uh, mind me asking? One and three last week, two and two the week before. Mm. The struggle is real. (laughs) Do I sound like I'm rejoicing a bit? I might be. All right, Sam. We're going to meet you at the window, and what picks are you going to provide us? Maybe, maybe. We'll see. Uh, As you can see, the viewers, uh, I don't have my giddy up on this week. We're getting serious. It's time to get serious. We need to give out winners. None of this hoopla. Let's just get straight to the winners. All right. And also, I'm done with this under garbage. I I hate betting unders, right? And I always feel bad when I bet them or when I give them out because they're no fun to root for, right? It's no fun to watch a game and say, I need no points in this game. It's like my friend Eric Casillas says. It's like going to a wedding and rooting for divorce. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's not I'm done giving out unders. No unders this week. We'll start with the totals. Commanders Giants over 37 and a half. Neither of these teams play defense. It doesn't matter that they don't have competent offenses. The Commanders might put up that many points alone with their half competent offense against the Giants incompetent defense. I know the Giants looked good against the Bills defensively, but the Bills really could not play offense in that game. They they had something going on. I don't know what it was. Maybe the lights were too bright up in Buffalo, but this game's going over 37 and a half. The Giants are going to put up a few points. I like Tyrod Taylor with another week to get ready in that offense. Keep Daniel Jones off the field. That's a, that's something else we got to talk about next week, Jason. There's there's a quarterback controversy brewing in New York. Uh, Tyrod Taylor may be a better quarterback in that offense than Daniel Jones. He's good. Sam Howell's good enough to play decently against these two defenses. This game, Commanders Giants goes over 37 and a half. Next, Another divisional matchup, Falcons-Bucks over 37.5 as well. We're going over these low totals this week, one, because it's an easy number to get over, but two, because the Falcons and Bucks have had decently good offenses so far this year. Neither of their defenses are anything to necessarily write home about. I know Atlanta's has looked good at times, but I think that both of these teams, despite having Atlanta having a really good rushing attack. I think Baker Mayfield will game manage his way to 20 points, and I think uh, Desmond Ritter probably gets the Falcons to 21. I think this game goes over 37 and a half pretty easily. All right, let's get to my sides now. 
And I'm going with two games that are going to have a lot of heavy handle this week. And I honestly haven't even looked at if these two sides are public or not. But Kansas City minus five and a half against the L.A. Chargers. I believe that game is at home uh, in Arrowhead. Patrick Mahomes is outstanding against the Chargers in Arrowhead. He's seven and two against the Chargers career. I think that the Chiefs blow him out in this game. This is a divisional game, and I think the Chiefs want to come out and stomp on the Chargers' throats. They know that in that AFC West, the real only competition they're going to have this season is the Chargers, and if they can get at them early and often in this game, I think that they're going to stomp all over Los Angeles and at least cover the 5.5. I may even alt this one up to 7.5. Next, we're going to go with the Lions, plus 3 in Baltimore against the Ravens. I I don't like betting against the Ravens. I think the Ravens are one of the more slept on teams in the NFL and they still get a lot of coverage as it is. The Lions are a special team this year. And I know this matchup is, you know, a good Lions offense against a good Ravens defense. That's why we're not touching the total. But I think the Lions get this one done. I think they win it outright, but give me the three points anyway. I I really like Detroit in this spot in Baltimore this weekend. So Commanders Giants over 37 and a half. Falcons Bucks over 37 and a half as well. Kansas City laying the five and a half at home against the LA Chargers, not the San Diego Chargers, and the Lions getting three in Baltimore against the Ravens. Those are my four, Jason. Hopefully it's a better week than last. Can't be much worse. Eh. My shrug emoji. My friends love it. The shrug emoji. That's what I got. All right, let me give you my four real quick here. Uh, before we send you on your way. Uh, Pages picks for week seven in the NFL. Let's start with the Commanders and the Giants. Uh, I actually think there's going to be some points in this game. I agree with you. Um, I'm joking. I'm not picking the Giants and Commanders. God, how can I pick either of these teams? I thought. I bet you thought I was going to, though. Uh, Tampa Bay. Let's talk about the Buccaneers and Falcons. I love Tampa Bay minus two and a half in this spot. Uh, Atlanta home versus road, much different team. Buccaneers defense has been very good even at home, um, or I should say at home. Uh, I love the Buccaneers in this spot. I do, like you, agree that Baker Mayfield makes enough plays in this game. And Desmond Ritter, we've seen the best of them, and we've seen the worst of them over the last two weeks. Expect that inconsistent play to continue as he continues to grow into this spot. Remember, guy hasn't even played a full season of NFL football. I mean, he's right around there right now. So we're still learning about Desmond Ritter. Uh, I love Tampa Bay at home, minus the two and a half. Bills. Oh, the Bills. Found a way to beat my Giants last week. I think it's a lot easier this week. Eight and a half feels generous to me. I I am, listen, the, the New England Patriots are a dumpster fire. Let's just say it at this point. New England is a disaster. Buffalo's going to, the best thing that could have happened to Buffalo last week happened. They won and they didn't play well, which gives Sean McDermott plenty of ammunition going into practice all week this week. I love teams in this spot. They're going to and trust me, there is a whole bunch of people around the football world that are enjoying dancing on the Patriots graves right now. And I think that includes yes, that includes Sam. That includes me. That includes the Bills. 
who minus eight and a half, they might win by two touchdowns easy. I wouldn't be shocked if it was more than that. And you know I feel strongly about it if I'm picking the Bills because I am not a Bills guy. Chiefs and Chargers. I think it goes under. You know, we, we talked about it with Matt Verderam yesterday. Kansas City's one of the best defenses in the league right now. Steve Spagnuolo has done an amazing job with this team. And I said it yesterday to Matt, and I'll say it again. I think he's going to be in line for a head coaching gig, even despite all the baggage that he comes with. I think after this season, there are going to be teams talking to Steve Spagnuolo. I don't know if he'll get the job, but I think teams are going to talk to him in this offseason. So you better enjoy him as your D.C. over there in KC. Um, look, the, the Chargers have been an up-and-down team all year. I think the loss last week is, I think there is a hangover effect. Yes, it's a divisional matchup. Um, but we've seen this team, you know, sort of struggle offensively. I love Kansas City in this spot uh, to win the game. But I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. This is no longer that high-octane KC offense. Um, I could see them winning 24-10, 21-10, 21-13, something in that ballpark. I think it goes well under uh, 47 and a half, to be honest. And the last one for you, Niners coming off the loss. And it sounds like Christian McCaffrey's getting healthier as the week goes on. Sounds like the same for Debo Samuel. And I think the Niners are coming out with blood in their hearts. They're coming. Minnesota's in trouble. Seven points is not a lot for this Niners team, considering how bad the Vikings have been all season long. Uh, I'll take the Niners minus seven on the road. A rare high point spread favorite that I take. You will not see me typically do this, but I feel that strongly about the Niners. Um, And Brock Purdy with something to prove coming off that game last week as well. Take the Niners minus the seven. So Tampa Bay minus two and a half. The Bills minus eight and a half. Go under 47 and a half. Chiefs Chargers minus Niners minus seven. Your picks in week seven. Page versus the Prince in the NFL. Any parting words, Sam? I just hope that I don't let the people down this week, Jason. That's all I got. I don't want to say anything else. I'll ruin it. Aww. You actually are a sympathetic figure right now. I actually feel bad for you. Uh, You're going to be all right? It's all right. We're getting it back. We'll get it back. We'll get it back. Hopefully. Two and two and one and three in the last two weeks for Sam. Not pretty. Sam, have a great weekend, my friend. I'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. See you on Monday. Sam Yarnell. We're coming back. We got to get to the baseball postseason. ALCS. NLCS. It's all next as we continue on the Sports Wrap on this Friday. Continuing on this Friday edition of the show. Spend some time on the baseball. Boy, I I will keep saying this. If the... um, If the Rangers lose this series, I do not think it will be unfair to point to the decision to start Max Scherzer uh, in Game 3. You've got your foot on the throat of the Astros. And yes, I know the name Max Scherzer carries a lot of gravitas. Yes, I know he's a future Hall of Famer. 
But starting him when you know full well that he is not the Max Scherzer because of injury, that you need him to be in order to feel comfortable with him in a postseason game. This is one of those times where Bruce Bochy's gut, his instincts were completely wrong. And if the Astros should complete this comeback after losing the first two games at home and win this series and advance to the World Series, those Astros haters out there, and there are plenty of them, they could thank Bruce Bochy because he made a bad decision in Game 3. And then you had Andrew Heaney going in Game 4, and we all saw how that turned out last night. Oh, boy. It was not pretty. I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, you saw an Astros team that looks like it's got its mojo back. And now you got a 2-2 series with the Astros slated to host two of the next three at home. I said yesterday on the on the pod VOD that if the Astros, you know, if if the road team won every game in this series, I would uh, eat my shoe. <laughs> now that might happen. We'll wait and see what happens uh, in game five of, of that series. Uh, look, uh, kudos to the Diamondbacks. They got up off the mat after dropping the first two games uh, of this series in Philadelphia, and they're making a series of it in Phoenix with the 2-1 win yesterday. Another one of those situations, though, where you're watching a manager in Tori Lovello take out his starter after he's thrown six amazing innings or he's faced 18 hitters, five and two-thirds innings, something like that. I mean, this kid pitched his heart out yesterday. And you watch Bruce Bochy. Um take him out of the game. And you're sitting there saying, you're just waiting for it. You're waiting for the Phillies in that moment with Kyle Schwarber coming up and all these guys. You're waiting for them to hit the Diamondbacks bullpen and for us to be, you know, second-guessing Tori Lovello today. As it worked out, it worked out. And the Diamondbacks were able to scratch across just enough offense. Kettle Marte with the big uh, game-winning RBI base hit in the ninth wins it for the Diamondbacks. So they get that series now uh, to 2-1 with game number four tonight uh, in Phoenix. Be curious to see what kind of number that game does with, with not a lot going up against it. But the Diamondbacks tonight, um, Mantiply will pitch for them uh, against Sanchez. Diamondbacks plus 112 uh, in that game. Phillies minus 132. Uh, Astros Rangers tonight as well. That game, 5.08 p.m. Eastern. Verlander for the Astros, Montgomery for the Rangers. We know what happened in the first game of that series where Verlander got roughed up. Um, Well, I shouldn't say roughed up. He gave up two runs, right? And Montgomery pitched really well 
And this time he gets an opportunity at home. So we'll see what happens in the uh, rematch of that game one matchup. And boy, let's say it right now. Rangers don't win tonight. The series is over. Got to win tonight. Uh, minus 110 for the Rangers, minus 106 for the Astros. So it's basically a pick in the minds um, of those that make the lines in Las Vegas between those two teams. Uh, we'll obviously see what transpires there. All right, that's going to do it for us on this Friday edition of the show. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks to Bill Bender. Does a terrific job on college football at the Sporting News. Check out his work there. Thank you to my man, Sam Yarnell, as well. Thanks for watching all week. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, what are you waiting for? It's on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. There's all sorts of different places to, to catch us. You can watch us daily, noon to 1 p.m. Eastern. Over on Twitch, Jason Page 77. Over on X, formerly known as Twitter, the back page. Facebook and YouTube as well. By the way, let me just say this. The music can just keep playing. It's fine. Uh, kudos to the folks in the Coachella Valley, my, my new hometown where I've lived for a few years. Lakers Suns last night at Acrisure Arena, just outside of Palm Springs. About 11,000 people, a sellout crowd, an amazing atmosphere for the Lakers and Suns preseason finale. And it was so good that Darvin Ham, when the game was over, said he'd like to see this become an annual affair and even hinted at the idea of the Lakers playing one regular season game every year in Palm Springs. Coachella Valley, just outside of Palm Springs. Thousand Palms, it's called. That arena has had one hell of a start in the year that it's been open. Not even a year. I think it's been like nine months that it's been open. Anyways, that's going to do it for me. I'm Jason Page. We'll catch you back here on Monday. Monday.